2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Um, when you have it, say amen. If you don't have your Bible, you're listening today, and God is awesome, and it's going to be a good time. So, and it says it this way, um, and I am reading from the CSB. It says, starting cap- chapter 2, the time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gigal, Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord is sending me on to Bethel. But Elisha responded, as the Lord lives and as yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, yes, I know. Be quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here. The Lord is sending me to Jericho. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as yourself lives, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Then the sons of the prophets who were in Jericho came up to Elisha and said, do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, yes, I know. Be quiet. Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord is sending me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave. So the two of them went on. Fifty men from the sons of the prophets came and stood observing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck it in the water, which parted from right to left. Then the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Then when they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. So Elisha answered, please let me inherit two shares of your spirit. If you're old school, the King James said a double portion. Elijah replied, you have asked me for something difficult. If you see me before being taken from you, you will have it. If not, you won't. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up to heaven in the whirlwind. As Elisha watched, he kept crying out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. When he could see him no longer, he took hold of his own clothes, tore them in two, picked up the mantle that had fallen off Elijah, and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle Elijah had dropped and struck it in the water. Where is the Lord God of Elijah, he asked. He struck the water himself, and he parted it right to left, and Elijah, Elisha, excuse me, crossed over. Then when the sons of the prophets of Jericho, who were observing what they saw, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed down to the ground in front of him. Amen. Thanks be to God for his um, wonderful um, and amazing word. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that you are, all that you called us to be. 
Um, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for keeping us. Bless this holy moment, this time. Guide me. Uh, reduce me and elevate yourself is all you can do. Um, we understand that preaching is a word from God and a work of God. So inhabit this place. Do something spectacular. Make my mess a miracle. And we trust you for the word that is going to come forth. Let it rest on the hearts of PBC till the ground. We trust you. It's so awesome to know that even in the times we have a little bit of time, you can do something big. It's so good to know that you are in the midst even when we weren't prepared. It's so awesome to trust you and to know that you will do the work of the ministry at PBC. And it's so awesome to know that we get to participate in that. We love you and we thank you for all the days ahead and that's all that's coming. In your name we praise you and we thank you. Amen and amen. So, some of you may know, some of you may not know, that we are about to embark on a transition. We are about to embark on a transition. We, hopefully, by this time next week, will not be listening to Eric, but our new pastoral candidate. Um, as somebody who's known him and has, has been around him enough, um, I trust God that he is the man who is coming for us. Um, and it's a blessing to be able to preach the week before him, regardless of uh, how much time I knew about it beforehand. Um, and so I always want you to think about transitions in a positive way from now on. A lot of times, especially in our culture, transitions can be a tough thing. People don't like change. People don't like doing sort of stuff. Um, when we think about transition, we think about politics. And every four years, people get upset with one another and people have these issues. And it's so interesting to me um, how God does godly transitions. And he makes things that are tough and potentially problematic beautiful and sets them aside for his own purpose. Um, I know a lot of you have dealt with transition, whether it be you transitioning with a student um, who is now a high schooler or now a college grad or a father who has a daughter who has transitioned into a wife or a mother who has a son who's now transitioned into being a husband. It's scary. It's difficult. It's, uh, it's new. It's strange. Um, and for you Georgia fans who've always been transitioning coaches, um, you finally got a good one. I'm going to take a shot at y'all every time I get a chance. Uh, but you finally have a good one, um, thanks to us. But uh, it's awesome. That transition was harder for us than it was for you all, clearly. But Scripture has so many transitions that we get to see. And today we're lifting out Elijah and Elisha. But before we get too deep into that, um, I want to get to the text um, because I want you to think about First and Second Kings um, as a historical narrative. What's happening is the writer is breaking down the history um, of this amazing Israelite monarchy um, and includes these amazing theological thoughts. One being God is the one and only true God. God is in control of human history. Also, God expects exclusive worship, exclusive worship, worship him and him alone. And fourthly, God lives in covenant with humanity. 
God lives in covenant in humanity. I'm going to read them down one more time for you all who are taking notes. God is the one true God. God is in control of history. God expects exclusive worship. And lastly, God lives in covenant with humanity. Right, these are things that Israel has found out um, through a system of failings and a system of, of suffering, as well as a history of hope and prosperity. The idea that God is the one true God means that you will not have any other gods beside me. You shall not make idols of the things that you hold dear, whether it be your tradition, whether it be your family, whether it be your children. In addition, God is control of history. Nothing happens without God allowing it. That's awesome for people who are going through systems and going through uh, different changes in their life that may be daunting, that God is in control of human history as well as your history. God expects exclusive worship, exclusive worship, and the idea that there is no other religion, no other form of um, understanding, whether it be um, people who are deists or can believe in Confucius or all, whatever it is, at the end of the day, God responds to exclusive worship and expects that from his believers. And lastly, God lives in this beautiful covenant with humanity. And the covenant is so awesome because even when we don't hold up our end of the bargain, God also hold, always holds up his end of the bargain. And so as we prepare to meet um, and vote on our new pastoral candidate, there are three truths that I really want to dig up out of this passage that I want us to start with. And you won't get slides, so you're going to have to either write them down or you're going to have to have an eidetic memory. <laughs> and so the first one is this. And the first one is this. It is ignore, avoid, and correct people who are making negative and unhelpful statements. We see it right here in Elijah. He has to tell people, he has to tell prophets, prophets, people who are in relationship with God, people who hear God often, people who are in relationship with God. He has to tell them to be quiet. All I can think about is him being so annoyed and so frustrated with people telling him things that he already knows, right? He is trying to figure out what the next step of his ministry is, what the next step of his master's ministry is. And he has people in his ear saying, you know he's going to die today, right? And he's like, uh, got it, stop talking to me, right? And what I want you all to think of is we, as we think of as a congregation, is that there is place for constructive criticism, but there is not any place for keeping it real, right? One thing that I've realized in my life, um, even growing up to, the, to where I am now, is that a lot of people will mask keeping it real, right? Um, for, uh, well, they will mask being rude with keeping it real, right? And the worst thing that I hate is somebody saying something absolutely negative, unhelpful, unuseful, and truly mean-spirited and they say, hey, I'm just being honest. Hey, I'm just keeping it 100. I'm just keeping it real. It's the most annoying and the worst thing you can do because slowly, after a while, that starts wearing on somebody's confidence. It starts wearing on their ministry and who they are and who their calling is. So, constructive criticism means that you're constructing something. 
That means that you're building something up inside of that person, not tearing something down. Constructive criticism, not keeping it real, right? And let me tell you something. Um, Jed often talks about uh, me using my stature as a big black man um, to intimidate people. And don't make me do that. Don't keep it real with your pastor. Keep it constructive, all right? That's tweetable. I ain't even do that on purpose. That's the Lord, all right? Keep it constructive with our new pastor. Second, God empowers, uh, well, this is the third, second one is this, I'm sorry. God initiates the transition. God initiates the transition. One thing that we see here is that um, Elijah is not called up by himself. Elijah sees the chariots of fire that have been sent down from God to initiate this transition. And it's safe to say that Elijah was pretty sad and maybe a little bit frustrated about the change, right? And I think you need to realize, if we haven't yet, and come to grips with, that transition is God-ordained, even at the outset, right? It seems tough, it was tough, it hurt, it just because it hurt and it was tough doesn't mean God wasn't a part of it. And that's something I had to learn for myself, especially in this particular time, to understand that God ordained, meaning he allows certain things to happen. He allows pain, he allows suffering, he allows trials to build up and to edify the church to the next phase of ministry. In addition, the members will have to work together for the good of them who love the Lord. And what I mean by that is, um, when transition occurs, we always have to assume positivity. Um, and I got that from Miss Melissa. Thank you for looking out for us in past search committees. Assume positivity, right? Assume positive intent. Making sure that when he makes decisions, when he's trying to figure out how to navigate this church, that he is doing it with honorable, good, and holy intentions, all right? So we always have to make sure that we are working together for the good. In addition, God was not surprised by the trials we faced. God was not surprised by the pandemic. He wasn't surprised by the situation that went on in our church. I would even submit to you that God was in the midst while it was happening, while we were struggling, while we were crying, while we were trying to figure things out, while we were judging ourselves, while we were being judged, God was there and he allowed it to happen so that we can get to the next phase of ministry in this church. And that doesn't take any sort of accountability away from us because we had things we needed to work on and we we're aware of that and we move forward, right? I don't want you to think that, well, God did this, we have nothing to do with it. Right? We have to realize that we partake in everything that happens at the end of the church, in this church, but God allows things for the good of his church. He tells us very clearly that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And that church is also PBC. And here's the last thing, and we're going to wrap it up. God empowers the mantle, not the man or the institution. God empowers it right? It's not us, and it's not the church. So I don't want you to come in thinking that he's your man, 
that you have control over how he operates and how he thinks, that your agendas are his agendas, right? You have to understand that he won't preach like Peter, he won't pray like Paul, but he is here for a specific purpose. And it's tough for a lot of us because we have to realize in a lot of ways that he is called to lead this church, not us. We are called to follow his leadership and to trust the authority that God has placed inside of this man and for the um, prospering of this congregation in its ministry. And I just want to be honest for a second because it can get tough and it will get tough. There'll be things... um, Eventually that you may not like how he did. You may not like the the paint. You may not like how he preaches. He may not preach like Jimmy. Uh, He may not be somebody's theologian, somebody's scholar. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a word of God from God for this church. He is a different person. He is coming with power endued by him by Almighty God. We are called to love him and we are called to follow him. How can somebody lead unless they have followers? How can somebody build unless they have people in place who are ready to move stones with them? It's so important that as we go through this next time and phase of our ministry, that we realize we are called to come alongside as we build something new. And it's always great to remember that God is the ultimate architect of everything that happens at PBC. So if he fails, which he will, if he takes a misstep, which he will, if he offends somebody, which he probably will, God is still in the midst. God is still doing the work and the gates of hell shall not prevail against BBC. Better days are coming. I would offer you the time that we have coming up next week to come out next Saturday to meet our um, pastoral candidate, He's truly, truly uh, an awesome man of God. Just knowing him in the time that I have known him, um, there's been a new level of excitement in me personally about the things that are coming in PBC. Um, He brings a new energy, and I trust um, with that in mind, whether it be changes, whether it be him allowing certain things to stay the same, that you will always choose to build him up rather than tear him down. PBC, I love you. You mean the world to me. You know it. Um, It's so awesome to be a part of a body of Christ that cares about the community, that cares about making sure that the things of God are at the forefront, and that's making sure that the man of God has a place to lead, to vision cast, and to move this church forward. So with that said, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for all that you are, all that you called us to be. We realize transition can be tough. We realize it can be weird. We realize that there may be things that come that we're not used to. And just because we're not used to them, help us to remember just because they're different doesn't mean they're not of you, that you didn't inspire it. Help us to be forgiving. Help us to be long-suffering. Help us to trust you with the man that you brought here. Help us to humble ourselves to understand that you called him here and you've called us to follow. 
Help us love. Help us build. Help us move forward. Help us to raise your name above all names. And we know that when your name is lifted up, you will draw all men and women and children and the lost and those who are yet to be found unto yourself. It's so exciting to know that all of our pain and strain and, and, and trouble was for naught. It's not for naught. But you had a hand that you had an ordained time that you knew what you were doing from the beginning. Our tears were not useless. Our pain was not fruitless. You heard all of our cries. You heard all of our fears. You heard all of our troubles. And you answered them before we were aware of it. And we'll trust the God who stays. We'll trust the God who kept us. We'll trust the one who saved us. And we'll trust the one who will keep us into the future. So in your name we praise and we thank you.